Welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Revolutions in the Cultural Mess and Secular Strength. Thank you so much for joining me, my friends. I hope you are having a great day wherever you are. I'm a little bit late today, but I'm, I'm really sorry. I just needed to calm down on my own and what's going on. And I took a little longer than usual. But here I am. So today's uh, topic, we're going to go straight down to it, um, is what is the between Ukraine war, Rwanda, and Mali. There's also the the American Canadian natives, but we'll leave that out for now. So what is the connection and the similarities between Rwanda, Ukraine war, and Mali war? So let's go straight to it. Uh, We'll start with uh, the US. And we'll start in 2014, okay? In 2014, if you remember, there were, um, there were violent manifestations in, in, uh, manifestations in Ukraine which led to the uh, seizure of Crimea uh, by Putin and Crimea became in, becoming a uh, Russian um, region, okay? It was formerly Ukraine. But something happened before that. A U.S.-backed revolution in Ukraine helped bring it close to the brink of war. So in 2014, Ukraine, uh, a great power gamership, righteous anger at corrupt status quo, and opportunistic far-right extremists toppled the government in the Maidan revolution. Today's crisis in Ukraine cannot be understood without understanding the Maidan. Um, in January, a defiant crowd of protesters, a jumble of bodies, where Extremists rub shoulders with everyday people. They try and say it's a far right extremist. Everything that they don't like is far right, okay? So just forget the far right in, in the process. And I'm reading from jacobin.com. But uh, as nothing to do with far right, it has to do with the US backing and invasion. A defiant crowd of protesters, a jumble of bodies where extremists rub shoulders with everyday people, wants the head of the elected president. They chant anti-government slogans, occupy government buildings, they um, carry arms. Some of the makeshift melee weapons, uh, melee of weapons. Some of them hunting rifles and Kalashnikovs. At the time it is all said and done, the demonstrations will lead to the death and hospitalization of both protesters and police. It is not the Capitol riot in Washington that so horrified Americans and observers in 2021. It was the Ukrainian Maidan revolution, or Euromaidan, which right around this time, eight years ago, actually succeeded in toppling the country's elected government, sending um, the then president, Viktor Yanukovych, fleeing for his life to neighboring Russia. Nearly a decade on, the 2014 revolution of of dignity, as it's known in Ukraine, remains one of the most widely misunderstood episodes in recent history, yet understanding it's critical to, it is critical to understanding the ongoing standoff in Ukraine. Why can largely, which can largely be tracked back to this polarizing event, depending on who you ask, an inspiring liberal revolution or a right, uh, extreme right coup d'etat. Uh, like today's Russia-NATO tensions more broadly, at the heart of the Maidan protest was the push by some Western governments, especially the United States, to isolate Russia by 
supporting the integration of peripheral parts um, of the former Soviet Union into European Atlantic institutions. The Moscow pushback against what it saw as an encroachment on its sphere of influence. In 2014, the man forced to navigate these tensions were Viktor Yanukovych, was taking his second crack at the Ukrainian presidency. He had first ousted, he was first been ousted after 2004 Orange Revolution that followed widespread charges of vote rigging in the election that brought him to power. Before running again six years later, Yankovic had worked to rebuild a reputation, becoming the country's most trusted politician. By 2010, international monitors had declared the most recent election free and fair, an impressive display of democracy. But once in power, Yankovic's rule was again marred by widespread corruption, authoritarianism, and for some, an uncomfortable friendliness to Moscow, which had made no secret of its backing him in the previous elections. The fact that Ukraine was starkly divided between a more Europe-friendly West and a center and a more pro-Russia East, the same lines that largely determined the elections only added to complication. Uh, Yankovic was in a tricky spot. Ukraine relied on cheap gas from Russia, but the plurality of the country, not crucially an absolute majority, wanted a European integration. His political career was caught in the same bind with his party formerly allied to Vladimir Putin's own United Russia Party. His pro-Russia base wanted to see closer relationships with its neighbors. But the oligarchs, who were the real reason he had gotten anywhere near the presidency, were financially entangled with the West, and they feared competition on their grip of the country across the Russian border. So for four years, Russia Yankovic towed a fine line. He pleased his base by symbolic and cultural measures, like talk of unity and cooperation with Moscow in key industries, even if much of it went nowhere, along with more serious steps like taking Russian uh, and official language, rejecting NATO membership, and reversing the pro-Western predecessor move to glorify Nazi collaborators as national heroes um, in school um, um, currently. Um, and this was not very, uh, this was not taken lightly by uh, the West. Uh, in turn, Moscow refused to renegotiate the hated and the one-sided 2009 gas contract between the two that had been struck by the last Ukrainian government. Um, to halt, um, so there was a there was a split between the two. Okay, uh, why all this was going on with protesters crying treason and ch and chanting, um, um, and chanting Ukraine in is Europe. The protesters were about much more. As one of Kiev's residents told the press, if the deal is signed now, I I won't lead the protest. Um, so Yankovic's response, um, demonstrators are fed up with nepotism and corruption that pervaded Ukrainian society. One of Yankovic's sons is a dentist who somehow ended up among the country's wealthiest men. Among uh, Another was an MP, as well as the increasingly authoritarian nature of Yankovic's rule. In fact, the other major sticking point for the deal was Europe's demand that Yankovic's leading rival be released from prison over Trump up charges. 
Yankovic's response to the movement only further doomed him, first with brutal crackdown in November that saw riot police violently disperse protesters from Kiev's Maidan or Independence Square, when ramming through a set of oppressive anti-protesters protest laws in January. Um, but all this is just a front, okay, my friends. Behind all of this was the U.S. Okay, the U.S. Uh, by no means, um, the U.S. would no, by no means uh, was innocent in this. They supported the protesters from the back door. They instigated violent protest. They blamed it on far-right protesters, but they were very, very much behind it, causing the tension, the as agitation, which finally erupted into Maidan protest. And um, finally, uh, Yankovic had to leave, it came down, and a pro-Western, uh, European and Western president was brought in. So, um, on an enduring mystery of the Maidan revolution is one who is who was behind the February 20 sniper killings that set off the final most bloody stage of the protest, with accusations against everyone from government forces and the Kremlin to US-backed mercenaries. Without precluding these possibilities, there is now considerable evidence that the same forces who piggybacked on protesters cause were among, were also at least among the forces firing that night. Um, you know, we can, we can go on and on and on, but it's very, very clear um, that free market democracy, okay, um, was a, a critical piece to the Euromaidan puzzle, the role of the Western governments. For decades, Washington had allied governments have pursued their strategic and economic interests uh, under the cover of promoting democracy and liberal values ab abroad. Sometimes they meant funneling money to violent reactionaries like Nicaraguan Contras, and sometimes it meant supporting benign, uh, benign pro-democracy movements like those in Ukraine. External factors have always played an important role in shaping and supporting civil society in Ukraine. Um, pointing to the EU and the United States through agencies like the National Endowment for Democracy and U.S. Agency International Development, uh, whose Kiev headquarters were in the same compound as the U.S. Embassy. One can argue that without the external support, which has been the major source of funding for um, Ukrainian civil society since independence, Ukrainian civil society would not have become what it is now. Um, and so, did Americans in, uh, meddle in the internal affairs of Ukraine? Yes. The American agents of influence would prefer different language to describe their activities, so they camouflage the activities as democratic 
assistance, democratic promotion, civil society, support, but their work, however, labeled seeks to influence political change in Ukraine, either um, overtly or covertly, and if necessary, to militant um, means, through aggressive, uh, violent, and militant means. The U.S. has always done this. So the U.S. is behind the war in um, the militancy and the Maidan protest in Ukraine 2014, which led to uh, Crimea being becoming part of, the, uh, of Russia. So you know now the U.S. is involved. This did not happen in a hole, in a void. The U.S. is involved in destabilizing anyone on the um, that doesn't submit to its supremacy and hegemony. And um, that is why we have the war in Ukraine today. The war in Ukraine did not just start yesterday. The U.S. has been behind this for a very long time. And this is their war completely and utterly. And they use all the different languages to describe the activities at camouflage of Trojan horse. So dem democratic assistance, democracy promotion, civil society, support. But their work, however, is always about influence political change to their advantage, long and short of the story. This is exactly what's going on in India. They are trying to influence, they are, they are influencing through violent methods, through propaganda, through narratives, through fake propaganda, through fabricated propaganda, to influence the political climate uh, to their advantage in India. Okay, uh, by playing the divide and distract, the divide and rule is firmly supported by a democratic label by the United States and its allies. Okay, they want absolutely to control India. They just like they control Pakistan and destroyed it. They want to control India. This has been a long-standing um, point of this. This is nothing, absolutely nothing new. So that's that's one. That's Ukraine. You know now that Ukraine is because of, of um, 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 what's happening in Ukraine today has always been because of the U.S. interference in, 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 in um, Ukraine, uh, in their politics. Um, we go to Uwan, uh, Ru um, Rwanda. In 1990, um, let me take a look at my notes over here. Uh, in 1994, we had a genocide in, in Rwanda. A uh, hundred days and one million dead, millions displaced, and a country in absolute chaos. But it did not uh, stop there. In 1990, uh, the 1990 Rwanda invasion and the U.S. tactic support for it is all the more disturbing because in the months before it occurred, the president had acceded to many of the international community's demands, including for the return of refugees and a multi-party democratic system. So it wasn't clear what the uh, Rwanda political patriotic front, that is the armed forces, um, not the Rwanda, but it, it was a rebel or, um, or armed forces that were supported by Uganda, where a lot of uh, refugees, um, uh, Rwandan refugees had gone there, formed uh, armed forces up front, a rebellion force um, to take back uh, Rwanda. Uh, may, I think it's mainly made, made up of Tutsis, uh, but uh, Yes, effectively. Under the garb of multi-party democratic front, the U.S. tactic supported 
invasion um, by the RP RPF, that, that is this exiled uh, Rwanda Patriotic Front. Um, the negotiations appear to have been abandoned abruptly, abruptly in favor of war. Um, what really happened was uh, there were a lot of um, Rwandan refugees. Uh, the war was the genocide was between Hutus and Tutsis. Hutus were uh, in majority, um, and the Tutsis, a lot of them, uh, were second class citizens, basically, and some of them were refugees outside uh, in other areas. Um, and the Tutsis, uh, and they were also in Uganda. Um, the U.S. sorry, the U.S. financed Uganda, the president of the then Uganda, to absolutely, um, you know, for for apparent democratic activities, for pro for for promoting democratic, um, for promoting uh, democracy, and it's typical nonsense. Okay, typical, and it says democratic assistance, democratic pr promotion, civil rights, uh, society support. This is what its, it's excuses, always the same. Um, uh, in 1992, um, the Western donors, including the US, doubled its aid to the government of Uganda and allowed his def their defense spending to balloon to 48% of Uganda's budget, compared with 13% for education, 5% for health, even as AIDS was ravaging the country. The Uganda purchased 10 times more uh, US weapons than in the preceding 40 years combined. Um, but they were helping these, um, these rebels, the, rebel, uh, the RPF. Uh, they were financing the rebels. Uganda also, the president uh, in 1990, also banned political activities, uh, arrested journalists and editors, conducted brutal insurgency uh, operations in which civilians were killed and tortured. And uh, instead of seeking stability, the US, by allowing uh, Uganda to arm the RPF, was setting the stage for would-be um, would be um, outbreak of war and genocide. So the US paid U uh, Uganda, and they knew this was happening, that Uganda was arming the RPF. So uh, the US tactic support of this is all is disturbing because in the months before it occurred, the president of Uganda had exceeded, was also under pressure by international donors, uh, community demands, including the return of refugees. So they forced them to take in refugees, okay, and, a mul and have a multi-party democratic system. Now, when they say multi-party democratic system, that it's a Trojan horse for what they are going to do behind the scenes. So in the front, they say, oh, no, we want the, the, the vote for the people. It's democracy is for the people to, for, um, for, uh, for peace, for unity, for the voice of the people, to get the people involved. It's just a Trojan horse democracy. Behind the scenes, they, the, in front they will use all this very nice uh, language overtly. They say, to democratic assistance, we want to help you, democracy, uh, for promotion, civil society support. But at the end, it's all about to 
co-working to the backdoor democracy is a is just a Trojan horse to meddle in the internal affairs of a country. They have their hand in every pocket and make sure that you submit to them in totality and they control you. So democracy is a scam. This multiculturalism is a scam. Secularism is a scam. And it's all about ethnic cleansing and submitting and subjugating yourself as a vassal state the United States of America and their big donors and their allies. Okay, so there is no when we 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 celebrate Independence Day on 15th of August. There is no Independence Day. It's all bullshit. We're still a vassal state of the godforsaken um, uh, U.S. who meddles in everyone's affairs, and now they're doing it overtly. Okay, so um, by doing this, um, <coughs> sorry. Uh, the U.S. was not fostering nascent democratic activities inside Uganda by pressuring other countries, including Rwanda, to open political space. Ugandan donors were allowing um, to ban political. Um, um, Ugandan donors were allowed to uh, ban political party activities, arrest journalists, editors, and conduct brutal counterinsurgency operations. And after seeking stability, the U.S., by allowing Uganda, Uganda to arm the RPF, was setting the stage for what would turn out to be the worst outbreak of violence ever recorded on the African continent. Um, on the other side, they were pressuring also Rwanda to have a multi-party system, uh, but that went haywire. In, 19, um, in 1994, um, Sorry, in 1994, um, you know, this went into complete and utter. Um, shortly after the invasion, all Tutsis, whether RPF supporters or not, became targets of vicious propaganda campaign that would bear hideous fruit. In April 1994, chauvinist Hutu newspapers, magazines, and radio programs were reminding Hutu audiences that they were the original occupants of the Great Lakes regions and the Tutsis were, um, were descendants of Ethiopians who had conquered and enslaved them in the 17th century. The RPF invasion was nothing more than a plot, um, they said, by Uganda, by Paul Kagame, and their co-conspirators to re-establish their evil Ethiopian uh, empire, which is uh, true the Tutsis are descendants of Ethiopians, or should I say the uh, Western, um, Western Africa. Um, in December 1993, a picture of a machete appeared in front of the page of the Hutu publication, uh, What Do We Do About the Tutsis? Um, um, but the president of Rwanda knew that the RPF, thanks to Ugandan backing, uh, and whose money was coming from the U.S. and Western donors, was better armed, trained, and disciplined than his own army. Under in immense international pressure, he agreed in August of 1993 to grant the RPF seats in the transitional government and nearly half of all posts in the army. Even the Tutsis inside Rwanda were, giving, were against giving the RPF that is the Rwanda Patriotic Fund, so much power because they knew it would provoke the angry, fearful Hutus even more, and they were right. Uh, this, um, 
1994, four months before the genocide, the CIA predicted that if the tensions were not now somehow diffused, hundreds of people would uh, die in ethnic violence. That is exactly what happened. The spark arrived at 8 p.m. on 6th of April 1994, when rockets fired uh, from positions close to Kigali Airport, shot down the Rwanda president's plane. The next morning, frantic Hutu militia convinced uh, the people to launch an attack on their Tutsi neighbors. For a hun hundred days, a million people were killed, and here we go. So you see the, 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 the U.S. had a hand in that. And in that genocide, okay, the church was involved. The churches, the ch the churches of Rwanda were used as cells to keep uh, Hutu rebels, uh, to house them, uh, to uh, attack Tutsis and, and vice versa, okay, because this was across the board. It, it didn't really matter in the end. But the church was actively involved and its priests and, and, and clergy were actively involved in the genocide of, um, of, of Rwandan civilians, whichever side they came from. So this church supposed was a political uh, outfit um, not only the Catholic Church, but the Protestant Church and the La Seventh-day Latter-day Latter Saints. I'm not exactly sure which of the denominations, but they were involved. They were found later on uh, that they were involved. And this is disgusting. Uh, this is what the church is. It's a political outfit. It's there not to promote something about Jesus. Jesus is a front. At the back, they are an absolute Trojan horse to subjugate you, to politically... Um, uh, enslave you and and uh, control the land control the narrative control the money control the economics they are sick disgusting organization the Pope had to apologize but the Pope did not apologize immediately or in 20 days or in two months um, the, and, and no Pope resigned for this okay so you're like you say oh well Modi had to resign has to resign no the Pope didn't resign because the Pope was uh, he, he knew they knew very well that their churches were involved and this is what caused the genocide in Rwanda the churches were involved now let me tell you about Manipur my friends I think you already know about Manipur um, the Manipur okay there is a genocide going on in, in Manipur and it's not the Hindu Métis who are doing the genocide it is all being run by a very long-standing um, agenda by the churches in the Northeast supported in totality by the US backed missionaries to convert this area into a Christian land and separate it from India they are using the churches are built in strategic locations because these churches are used as cells, as like jihadi terror cells, uh, for militant outfits, militants who are being funded by the churches, and as their private armies and militants who are and the churches who are funded by U.S. missionaries. Do you see how this this um, uh, resembles Rwanda? Do you see how this resembles Ukraine? This is all the US and European donors funding political outfits, militant outfits, uh, um, uh, by backing the church. So the church is receiving money. The church in the Northeast is not an ideological institution. The church in the Northeast 
is a political in, 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 uh, institution and they are individual uh, political mafia just like in the olden days in the Mughals time each each um, uh, emir or each sultan was a vassal state he had its own political army each um, um, what can I say, Zamindar had its own political army and they fought with the other Zamindar to get as much land as possible. Today, the modern Zamindars are the churches. They are mafia outfits, they are political outfits with their own personal armies called militants. And these armies are funded by the churches. These churches are built in strategic locations and they are all funded by the missionaries of the, of the world. Why does the U.S. want to fund missionaries with, with uh, political aspirations and with militant outfits, with their own private armies? Uh, because the church wants to um, colonize this land. The church has already colonized this land. They keep saying all over, over the world, the propaganda that's going on is that the Hindus are the majority. My ass, because the Hindus are not. The Hindus are the minority. The Christians are the majority in this area. If you take all the Christians and put together in the Northeast, you can go from one area to the other. They all support each other. They are the majority in this area. They're absolutely hypocritical. They don't care about you. They use violent militants to subjugate you and proselytize you. Anyone who stands up to them, to, to stop their proselytization is is got is put down at gunpoint they will use ammunition you will use arms to put you down at gunpoint if you dare to stand up against the proselytization which is exactly what happened in rwanda which is exactly what happened in ukraine and this is exactly what happened that the native americans of the of, of americas have been reduced to nothing they have been put on reserves as slaves on their lands, as prisoners on their own lands. They can go elsewhere, but they are prisoners. Um, they are put in schools which uh, uh, rape them. They are put in schools which uh, abuse them, which uh, uh, sexually abuse them. The priest told, are told, kill the Indian, but keep the man. This is exactly what they're doing in India. Kill the Indian, but keep the man make the man into a Christian, get him to forget his native culture, his indigenous heritage, and use him as a tool to propagate your colonization of the land and one day take it over. So this is exactly what's happening. Kill the Indian and keep the man is the motto of the church. It was the motto of the church in the Americas. It was the motto of the church in Canada and the US. It was the motto, it's the motto still of the church in the northeast and in india kill the indian and keep the man um, and they are armed militants by the u.s who are uh, who use all this fancy uh, vocabulary of oh democratic uh, assistance democracy promotion civil society support but their work is however labeled not for support but for for influencing political, ideological uh, change on the Indian subcontinent, to rest, to kill the Indian, kill the Vedic heritage, destroy it completely, and resurrect it as a Christian nation. Now, this is no different with what happened in Rwanda. Um, 
here's my other point. Uh, this is not the only thing going on. One side, you have the Christians in a hurry to convert India into a, into a Christian dump. And you have, on the other side, you have uh, the uh, Islamic outfits in a hurry to convert India to an Islamic dump. Okay, because both these groups are exactly disgusting for me. As someone who grew up in, in, in the Abrahamic faith, I am disgusted and exactly um, outraged at that this is happening. I'm ashamed to the core of my, my soul that this is happening and we are silent about it. We were never told this, we are silent. And today we're standing up and we're, we're saying it aloud and we are leaving. There are lots of Christians who are leaving. There are Muslims that are leaving because they know they used us exactly for this to kill, to commit a genocide and to continue what um, their colonial handle was that they have been, that they have been running for the last uh, two, three thousand years. Uh, my dear friends, this is not just a war against Hindus. The Hindus are only the butt of the joke. The Hindus are being used as propaganda, fake propaganda, to to uh, to spread across the world and to, to camouflage what what um, genocide is going on in the country against this Vedic civilization. The actual war is between Christianity and Islam. Just like all over the world, they are fighting. They have made the Indian subcontinent as uh, as their home as their base for a proxy war that they have been fighting for the last 400 years and uh, 1400 years all over the world. So for 1400 years they've been fighting with each other. The crusades are not over. The Islamic crusades and Christian crusades are not over. India is a proxy area for them to con to continue that war, but they cannot say it. So they cannot say it's it's uh, it's Islam versus Christianity because that's what's going on. So they have to use the Hindus as a camouflage, as a Trojan. See, 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 the Hindus are bad. We're trying to stop casteism. We're trying to stop Dalits. We're trying to help the poor people. We're having democratic rights, democracy promotion, but it's just a Trojan horse. It's a front for ethnic cleansing so that they can take over just like they did the Americas and just like they reduced the natives to, to rubble, just like they reduced Rwanda to rubble, just like they reduced North Africa to rubble, they reduced Yemen to rubble, they have re reduced Ukraine to rubble, everywhere they go they reduce the land to rubble and leave decades and centuries of trauma behind. This is how disgusting and sick they are. And they're doing this to the Northeast, they're doing this to this America, to India. Their fight is actually between Islam and Christianity, but they blame, they, they blame the Hindus as a front for what they are doing behind to, to cover up for their covert operations behind their crusades in the war against each other, which they cannot say aloud, but is really happening. And, and the Hindus have to be the front, the propaganda to uh, take the blame for this ignorance and this insolence. Until you know that, until you don't change it, in your mind, if you do not understand this, this is going to continue. So it's time you stand up and not to use violence without any violence through knowledge. Empower yourself with knowledge in your homes and you will empower yourself with knowledge in the streets. Empower yourself with knowledge in the streets and you will empower yourself with knowledge at your borders. It's also time to say we need to have um, learn martial arts. We have to support ourselves and learn martial arts 
not to be violent against others, but to support our own self. Martial arts, we have to get back to our ancient civilization where everyone could defend themselves with martial arts. And tomorrow we're going to talk about that, how we can defend ourselves uh, through knowledge, through conversations, through empowerment, and through martial arts where we can defend our civilization and stop this Trojan horse of violence um, that has been plaguing us for too long. On that note, I take your leave. I thank you for your time. I ask you to spread this podcast as much as possible. Um, peace, my friends. We need peace. Stop the violence in your homes and stop you will stop the violence in your streets. Stop the violence in your streets and you will stop the violence at your borders. I wish you a lot of peace until we meet again.